This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. In her storytelling way, Rosemary Morrow joins me to share why, after all these years, she continues to practice permaculture and finds this system of design so important to our present and the future. Enjoy this short time with Roe, and I'll join you again after. I looked at regenerative agriculture. I looked at organic farming. I looked at biodynamics. I looked at traditional growing systems to some extent, not deeply perhaps, but enough. And I don't think anything has ever appeared that challenges permaculture in any way. And I would like to throw that out there. Does anyone in the audience, anyone listening, know of anything? Because I would change if something I felt were going to serve the world better. I think ethics are critical and that we need to come back to those ethics again and again. I think for Westerners, the third ethic is under-practiced, underused, underspoken. We all get a bit doughy-eyed about care of the earth and care of people and being nurturers and wardens and carers. But when it comes to redistributing surplus to need, not a good record at all. And I can see that as an ethic that for some cultures needs to come forward and then for other cultures, they just do it with so much grace and wonder. I'm thinking of Islam, for example, in terms of hospitality and sharing and food. Wonderful. So, you know, first of all, you've got an ethical basis. And recently at an Australian convergence, someone stood up and talked about how the principles of permaculture fitted a project which should not have passed permaculture appraisal. It was potentially polluting. It was probably going to be owned by multinationals. It involved large amounts of money. And they could make it fit the principles. So I hold that the principles are flexible. They're largely global. But if you really want to apply an acid test, you have to go back to the ethics. And you have to express them clearly in care of, not for. I was with a community once and I was sitting staring at where they'd wrecked the natural environment to plant some awful things, really badly done, cut down trees. And they planted something like geranium and roses because we love them. Now that's care for the earth. I love it so much. It makes me feel gooey. There's care of the earth where what is good for the earth comes ahead of what you might like or feel gooey or soft about. Similarly, care of people is a nurturing thing. Caring for people is that lovely gooey feeling when we love people or care about them. I understand that this is a very broad thing and we could debate it for ages, but care of puts you in the situation of nurture. Care for sits you in a wheelchair where you love it all. And I like to distinguish between that because there should be no armchair permaculturists. When the earth is really so damaged, we need all to be nurturers and carers of both people and the earth. You even look at the books, two-thirds or more, there's very little really adequate curriculum for the third ethic. And I know that we have zero growth and all sorts of things. But when it comes to personally, 
But when we come back to permaculture, I have been able to find greater and greater depth in permaculture and take it further all the time. So whether I'm looking at the curriculum around care of the earth, so I've just rewritten my book, but there's a whole chapter on environmental water. It was never done adequately. Care for rivers, care for wetlands, saline wetlands, hanging swamps, soil, water, aquifers, none of that has gone into design. I wonder how many people in any course were taught you must put water back into the soil. The ground is user and the environment needs water. How many people actually worked on restoring rivers and how they restore them? Who's fought for a wetland? So that sort of thing is completely within the bounds of permaculture, but something such as a title of water gets bigger. And so permaculture, without inventing it myself, I can still take those principles and those ethics and apply them, bringing in areas which were not there originally. And I've done this for the oceans, trying to look at a port and a big coastal city as zone zero, and then what happens out for there and the ecosystems around the marine environment and get people to think everything I do here ends up in the ocean. As a permaculture designer 2,000 kilometres away from the ocean, you still have to pay attention to the ocean and everything you do. So permaculture's enlarged this thinking of embracing design methods and design principles and it colonises your life, but it enables permaculture to go a bit further than 1971, 73. It's a different world. What we have from Bill and David is really fabulous. It is amazing. And I think we mess with the bones of it in our own sort of destruction, I think. People in the Philippines are learning one at the rim of fire country where they get volcanoes, cyclones, floods, landslides, increasingly war, and all that multiple disasters that people cope with, that rim of fire countries around the Pacific. Now, they teach permaculture according to skeleton, but if they learn something about water, they say, what's the disaster that happens around this and how can we apply what we've learned? They do soils. What's the disaster that happens around this? How can we apply what we've learned in soils? What do we need to do? Reforestation, financial systems. What do we need to do in light of our particular culture and history? In Bangladesh, of course, the country is less than a metre high. What does that mean for the floods and the storms and the cyclones? What they've done in storm and ocean rise is absolutely magnificent. But again, when they do their PBC, they will address it in terms of the threats from the ocean and the threats from climate change on their particular low-lying environment. But the same token, I've taken the best of what they do sometimes and put it into my book because coasts everywhere are going to be inundated and people may have to go back to these older, different ways of doing things and use them. Similarly for the dry areas in the world. They always stored water deeply in the soil. We may have to go back to that. As our countries turn to deserts, as many of them will, through fire, and we'll have to draw on traditional strategies and techniques for dealing well with more difficult 
and challenging environment, but it's still your core permaculture and all your design work is to addressing the critical issue that threatens life as we know. So then that skeleton that you describe of the permaculture design course allows us then to be a guide on the side as an instructor rather than that sage on the stage. Yeah, so you're sitting in the circle when they're working, you keep an ear out for how the groups are going, constantly monitoring, say you're listening to each other because we're building cooperations, everyone feels free to speak. Someone always recording, will everyone take, whoever holds the pen holds the power. You're making sure that the pen goes round and has everyone got a job on this? You're just building the cooperation, but listening in for what's wrong and not well understood or known. So a lot of it's plugging gaps and it's involving people all the time, all the way through in their own learning, but drawing it back to the relevance. And then by being that kind of a facilitator, you break down the colonial nature of that kind of top-down or like University Heidelberg, Germany style of education, and it hews closer to something like what Paulo Freire wrote about in Pedagogy of the Oppressed, so that it is the teacher-student and the student-teacher. Oh, Paulo Freire, I use him in my teacher training, talking about the great teachers of the world. Freire was one, of course, and all the people who just went out the marketplace and teach, I think that's quite a metaphor for what we do, if we're not trying to run schools and things, we go to the marketplace. You often have people sitting in and in the windows or sitting on the ground or they join the course. They can't always participate to the end, but they're welcome to come in if they're curious and participate and learn and go away again. I think it's good what we've done, but I think permaculture is still the only framework or jigsaw of pieces that fit together on a very small scale, like living in a container or tent in a refugee camp, to actually redesigning a whole country, which you could do in all environments. The techniques change, but the fact is you can work on that design stuff and draw on it again and again. And now we're just talking about restoration, repair and restoration. Sustainability is out the window. We're already in debt for two and a half moons or two and a half earths or something, but repair and restoration is where we must go. So you identify where you can make the biggest difference in degraded landscapes and societies. And permaculture takes you there. You don't have to invent it. And that was Rosemary Morrow. Her newest book from Meliodora Publishing is Earth Restorer's Guide to Permaculture. You can find that and pick up a copy today in the store at permacultureprinciples.com. If you'd like to hear the first episode in this series, I've included a link to that in the show notes, with more conversations with Roe to follow in the future. I also extend the invitation that Roe gave us in the beginning of this episode to let us know if you are aware of any other systems that do more or go further than permaculture. Leave a comment in the show notes or visit the permaculturepodcast.com and click on contact to send me a direct message. Until the next time, spend each day 
practicing permaculture and taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other. The Permaculture Podcast is a production of Permaneo Group. Find out more about the Permaculture Podcast, including the extensive archives, by visiting our website, thepermaculturepodcast.com. Learn more about Permaneo Group and other projects at permaneogroup.com.